Amen. Well, uh, we're going to turn to Revelation chapter 21, Revelation 21, almost the very end of the Bible. And as we're finding it, I remember as a, when I was first brought to Christ, I met someone who warned me and said, Ooh, you better not read the book of Revelation. They said, it's a dangerous book. Oh, wow. So I tried to avoid Revelation as a very uh, new person to the Bible, but actually that wasn't true. The Bible's not a dangerous book. It's actually a living book. And here we've got Revelation chapter 21. I'm going to read the first um, eight verses and then towards the end of the chapter. We're going to focus on... The title of the sermon tonight is Blessings and Warnings. Blessings and Warnings. Revelation 21 and verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God and he will be my son. Verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And we'll stop there, but you can continue to read Revelation 21. Let me pray briefly one more time. Father in heaven, would you grant unction from the Holy Spirit, as we consider these blessings and warnings together tonight, it's in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, that we pray. Amen. Well, let me just say, first of all, that we see continuity through the whole of the Bible. And what you find as you go through the whole of the Bible, you find two things that are always found together, not always side by side, but they'll be close together. When there are blessings that are revealed in the Word of God, there will also be warnings revealed. Now, sometimes as Christians in the church, we tend to get a little bit mixed up and we think that 
Warnings are always for people on the outside, but we're okay on the inside. But there are warnings for the church on the inside as well as warnings for people on the outside. Because the Bible says that the church will be full of hypocrites at times. Not everybody will be a hypocrite. But have you ever met a non-Christian? Have you ever spoke to non-Christians and they say, well, I will never go to church because the church has hypocrites. Have you ever met people like that? Well, your answer is very simple. You say, oh, that's great you would say that because that's exactly what the Bible says. The Bible says there will be hypocrites in church. So it actually confirms what the Bible says. Now, why don't you come to church uh, and, uh, and change things? Well, of course, they don't really want to listen to that. It's just often a lame excuse. But the word of God is very clear. There will be blessings and warnings both in the church but also outside. And Revelation was given as a revelation about Jesus Christ. And it was a book that would be read among Christian communities in the first century. And so we're going to look tonight at what a glorious God that we have. What a glorious God that we have. That those who come to Christ and have their sins forgiven are granted the gift of eternal life. Now, eternal life sounds wonderful. But Revelation 21 begins to unfold for us how wonderful that blessing is. And it clearly is a blessing from the Lord as we'll look at the first seven verses of chapter 21 which are heaped with blessing upon blessing upon blessing for the church to be encouraged. But then, like the title I've given tonight, Blessings and Warnings, there is a most bitter warning in verse 8. Did you notice that? It says, but, and it finishes off with the lake burning with fire and sulfur. In fact, there was John the Apostle, he was told to eat a scroll and he was told that it will be sweet in your mouth, but when it goes down into your stomach, it will become bitter. And what we have to remember is that we have a bitter, sweet message. A bitter, sweet message. And there are um, uh, eternal blessings, and there are also eternal warnings. So tonight, as we hear something of the gospel, I've got three headings for us, hopefully we'll be equipped and strengthened with the gospel. I certainly do not support when people go out doing evangelism, and certainly if they get involved in street preaching, to start threatening people as they're walking past with help. Because for people today, it means nothing to them. They, they've no idea. So we need, to be, we need to be careful that we don't try to get people from the letter A to the letter Z in about 30 seconds as they walk past. We're not living in a biblically literate society today. People do need to know about the warnings of everlasting punishment, but they also need to know about the warnings of the consequences of their sin. And so we've got three headings for us tonight. The first is the new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem. The second heading is the eternal church, the eternal church. And thirdly, is eternal punishment. So the first heading is the new Jerusalem. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth in Revelation 21 and verse 1. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away 
and the sea was no more. Look at verse 2. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And so what we find here is that the New Jerusalem comes down, and the New Jerusalem is the bride of Christ. Now, a few years ago, we went to a wedding in Northern Ireland. It was Liam and Heather who got married. And the man who was preaching preached on the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he preached about the, the New Jerusalem, which is the, which is the church of God. And he said, you know, that the church here is represented as the New Jerusalem. And I remember him saying, could you imagine the photo album? That there is Christ, the bridegroom, and then the bride, which is all the saints from, from, from time from beginning until the end of time when Jesus comes back from every tribe and tongue and nation. So we have a joy, it says, in verse 21, verse 1, John says, Then I saw, first of all, he saw this vision that was being given to him. He says, Then I saw this divine vision of the bridegroom and the bride coming together. What a wonderful picture we have. And that the church is represented here as the new Jerusalem. People from every tribe and tongue and nation, people and color and language. But then we see in verse 2, first of all, John says, I saw... And then in verse 2 again, he says, I saw again the holy city. But then it moves on from I saw, I saw to verse 3. It then moves on and says in verse 3, And I heard, I heard a loud voice from the throne. I wonder what we're going to be hearing that was said. It says, The word of God says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Let's stop there for a moment. This is what's known as the Emmanuel promise. All the way through the Bible, we have this golden thread that's woven through. God says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. But now this is no longer on earth. This is for all eternity in heaven, in the new Jerusalem, God says here, he says in verse 3, John says, I heard a loud voice. This is not the voice of the saints singing as they do in Revelation chapter 5. It's the voice of God. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. So I hope I can stimulate for us tonight something of a fresh passion for going to heaven as a Christian. Thinking about the joy of heaven, we're going to finish off with a hymn tonight, which is known as The Sands of Time Are Sinking, which are based on the words of Samuel Rutherford, and how we need preaching in the church about heaven to help us to live, not for this world, but to live for our living God. And here we have this Emmanuel promise. Remember when the Lord Jesus Christ became flesh. And then we see, behold, his name shall be called Emmanuel. 
What does Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. God with us. And God will be with us in the new Jerusalem for all eternity. You know that hymn? When I've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, there'll be no less days to sing God's praise than when I first began. We're going to be living in eternity, brothers and sisters. How wonderful that is to have the eternal God. I said this morning, oh, to study the shortness of this life and to study the length of eternity. But this is why we want to be urging people to come to Christ. But we won't really do that until we are energized in a fresh way with an understanding of the, of the gospel. In Revelation chapter 19, we have this wedding supper of the Lamb. Do you like weddings? Well, there's going to be a wedding in heaven. And uh, what a wedding that will be. And the word of God says there in Revelation 19, Come, for all things are ready. All things are ready. The marriage supper of the Lamb. But look at Revelation 21. We find this call all the way through um, from verse 6. It says, And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from, uh, give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have the heritage. And we also find in the very end of the book of Revelation, in 22 and verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, what do they say? They say, come. And the one who hears say, what do they say? Come. Here's the invitation from heaven, calling people to come. And again, ourselves as Christians, we need to come afresh to the Lord. Be refreshed and renewed by the Lord himself. But I want to encourage us all tonight on this first heading, the new Jerusalem. But little did we know when we first surrendered our life to Christ, for some of us who may have been three years of age, some may have been 10, some may have been 20, some may have been 50, and we were just simply thankful for forgiveness of sins. And now we begin to see so much more. We're going to spend eternity with the living God and with all of his saints in the new Jerusalem. Hallelujah! What a gospel, what promises, what joy we have. A joy that the world didn't give and a joy that the world can never take away. It's no wonder we're so happy because we cannot get this from BBC One watching Wimbledon. Don't you find sometimes, I enjoy watching tennis sometimes, but I've watched tennis for years and I, I can't remember a single game. Because somehow the memories just flee away. But the memory of the new heavens and the new earth, boy, that's an eternal inheritance. Our second heading is the eternal church. So the first heading, the new Jerusalem, is this Emmanuel promise. But secondly, the eternal church. As we said in 3 and then also in 4, there's something that we find wonderful here. It says, I heard the loud voice from the throne saying... Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Let's just spend a few minutes just thinking about this. About the eternal church. Because here are some details for us that really help us to worship God tonight. There are five eternal blessings for us. Here we see the first one in verse 21 and verse 4. It says, He, that's He, that's God Himself. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Could you imagine the tenderness of our God? Who will come and wipe tears away. We may wonder what those tears may be. We're not exactly told. But we know that tears are part of the human experience. Normally tears are connected. Especially not simply tears of joy. But here probably tears to do with mourning. There will be no more tears for all eternity. Now, I have friends whose parents died when they were teenagers. And it was a very painful providence for them. But there'll be no more tears in heaven. There'll be no more crying in that respect. Because there will be no more cause of such crying. But he, the Heavenly Father, will come and wipe away tears from their eyes. Do any of you remember when you were a child growing up and, and you came in crying from the street and, and your mum took you in your arms and said, there, there, my son, and, and, and wiped away the tears from your eyes. You know, perhaps you had been bullied on the street and a bully wouldn't have wiped the tears away, but your mum wipes those tears away. But here in heaven... The Heavenly Father will wipe away tears from their eyes. Isn't that sweet? The tenderness of the triune God. Here it says, death shall be no more. There'll be no more death in heaven. Death is the last enemy. And heaven will be a world of love and eternity Well, there'll be no more dying. There won't be any funerals in heaven. There won't be any caskets. There won't be any hearses. There won't be anybody running up to you and saying, have you heard? So-and-so has died. No, death will be no more. I know certain people who are, one man who's in his 90s, and, and he says, you know, you're going to get to 90, he's a committed Christian. He says, when you get to 90, he said, you know, you don't have many friends left. The ones who are your peers have all gone. But for those who are Christian Christians, We'll see them again. But in heaven, there, there'll be no more death. Neither shall there be mourning. These are connected together. Neither shall there be crying. And then lastly, it says in 21 and verse 4, neither shall there be pain any more. Perhaps tonight you're sat here and you're a picture of vigor of health and so forth. Let me tell you, no matter how you are feeling tonight, God in his providence 
could remove your health just like that. And you could be racked with pain. And then suddenly heaven would seem so much more pleasant. We think about a preacher. His name was John Bunyan. And he was a vigorous young man, a tinker in Bedford, England. And it was a time when it was difficult to be a preacher. And he kept on preaching. And the king and all the authorities put him into prison for 12 years. What on earth can you do for 12 years? Well, it was not a difficult, it wasn't a, an easy season, rather. It was a very difficult season for him, during which one of his own daughters died while he was in prison. But he set about writing a book called Pilgrim's Progress, which is in many ways an autobiography of his own experience. Have you read Pilgrim's Progress? Well, if you haven't, I would urge you to read it. And if you have read it, how about reading it again? Pilgrim's Progress is the world's best-selling book outside of the Bible. And how we need a renaissance of it to be read again. So here we see these five eternal blessings. There'll be God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. There'll be no more mourning, no more crying. Neither shall there be pain anymore. But before we get to our third and last heading, which will be eternal punishment, I've read in the last year a book by a man called Billy Graham, and he wrote this book uh, in his 90s. He died when he was 99 years of age, Billy. And he wrote this book... I'm not an expert on Billy Graham's books, but what I can say is that this book is excellent. It's called Nearing Home. And you don't have to be an old person in your 90s to read this. I would say anybody could read it. And in this book, Billy Graham helpfully talks about the courage that it takes to grow old. Grow old? People often think, oh, I can't wait to retire. But what people don't realize is that retirement is really the end. And, and Billy Graham writes about growing old gracefully. He talks about the pains, the limitations of trying not to leave an example uh, by doing what? He says older people need to learn to refrain from complaining. There's much to consider as we think of what the Apostle Paul said. Remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul said this, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are are eternal. As we look around this room tonight, everything you see is temporary, it's transient. It has little long-term value, but spiritual things, what a difference. Well, our third and last setting is eternal punishment, which is what we read in verse 8. And here we see blessings and warnings that are together. In verse 8, let me read it one more time. It says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, 
Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now, there are eight classes of people, which we'll come back to in a moment. But let me ask you a question. This third and last heading, eternal punishment. Have you ever been to a funeral in the last few years? Have you ever been to a funeral where the message basically was this? That everyone goes to some kind of afterlife of bliss. Have you been to a funeral when a professing Christian minister, maybe with a clerical collar, uh, enthusiastically pronounces that the deceased is now in heaven despite the fact that they lived their lives never believing in God or in the gospel. In one funeral, uh, in the outskirts of Sheffield, a relative of ours was buried, and a woman vicar, and I'm not, he could have been a male vicar, he happened to be a woman vicar who led the funeral, and she preached the clearest universal message I've ever heard. She preached something very clearly, but it was completely false. She said that Jesus died on the cross so that everyone will go to heaven. That's what she preached. No one was offended except our family. And uh, she announced this, and it's basically, there was no mention of sin, there was no mention of repentance. It was basically a Roman Catholic message because Roman Catholics believe the same. They believe that uh, eternity may involve some kind of purgatory, but in the end, all will go to heaven. Hindus, Buddhists, and unrepentant sinners. But the truth is that that is not true. It's a complete lie, and it leaves people in a kind of a, kind of a, a message that the world often wants. But what does the Bible teach? And this is where we're reminded of blessings and warnings that are always found together. Earlier in John chapter 10, as I said, John was asked to eat a little scroll and it was sweet as honey in his mouth. But when he ate it, it was bitter in his stomach. It's the bittersweet gospel. And though there are wonderful blessings for those who turn to Christ, what a sobering thought for those who reject the gospel. The worst thing is to die in your sins. And we as Christians need to feel the force of this if we're going to be equipped to present the gospel. Notice the eight classes of people that are mentioned, the people who will be cast into the lake of fire. It says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, the sexually immoral. I'll pick just maybe two or three out for us tonight. There's too much to deal with all of them. But it just summarizes some of the people who will be cast into the lake of fire. The first one I'm going to pick out is the faithless. The faithless. So when it's announced in a funeral in Britain, or it could be anywhere around the world, that there, 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 it's okay, uh, they'll be looking down on us right now, it's completely false. No Christian will be looking down at a funeral. It's appointed unto man to die once, and after that to face the judgment. There'll be nobody in heaven who is faithless. 
Someone who does not have faith that Jesus Christ is the only way and the truth and the life. There'll be no atheists in heaven. Atheism is a temporary condition. People may say, they may shake their fist at you and say, you religious Christian hypocrites. They can say what they want, but the Bible says the faithless will not only not be in heaven, they will go to the lake of fire and burning sulfur, which is the second death, and God Almighty will judge them and will cast them there. What a fearful thing. What about the sexually immoral? We live in a, in a, in a, in a generation today where <clears throat> you better be careful what you say. You're going to offend somebody. Well, the Bible is very clear. It calls the sin of homosexuality uh, sodomy. And despite much softening of the doctrine of sin, there will be no homosexuals who will be going to heaven. There will be no sodomites in heaven. Romans chapter 1 is very clear that if men exchange natural relations for men instead of women, they will not go to heaven. And the same is true for women. Whereas today we're softened by the culture of this age that says, well, look, we need to be sympathetic. And yet Jesus' his message never changes. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so we need to be very clear. When I was, I'm showing my age now, but I remember when I used to hear the phrase about people living in sin. Remember that phrase, or have I shown myself to be an old person? If you moved in with someone of the opposite sex, rather than getting married, it was known as living in sin. And that became a little bit offensive, so it became known as cohabiting. And now it's as if, you're getting married? You must be nuts. What do you mean getting married? Well, it's just a perversion of our society. But as Christians, our message is shaped by the word of God. The sexually immoral who die unrepentant will not be found in heaven. The word of God is very plain. It says they will be found in a lake that burns with fire and sulfur. Now you may say, but these are really good people. These are better people than maybe you and I are. But we're not saved by our own works. We're saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And praise God for the gospel. Because we don't get saved by being good. There's no one good. No, not one. The lake of fire is often referred to as hell. But actually, the phrase hell needs explaining. Because the eternal dwelling place of the wicked is the lake that burns with fire. And someone may say, well, what kind of gospel is this? As I've said, there are blessings and there are warnings. There are blessings and there are warnings. The eternal dwelling place of the faithless will be the lake that burns with fire, which is the second death. Well, as we close tonight, I want to encourage us because I remember when I was, when the Lord first revealed himself to me my understanding was very basic. I remember someone gave me something which I've never forgotten. It was a poem called Footprints. 
Has anybody ever seen that? It was somebody walking on a beach. There were two pairs of footprints, two people walking together on the beach. And then it, all of a sudden, somewhere on the beach, there's just one pair of footprints. And you think, well, what's happening? And the poem explains that there are certain times that are real difficult trials that you go through as a Christian in this world. And then there's just one set of footprints. And it teaches us and reminds us that at those times that we go through trials and difficulties, the Lord himself carries us upon his shoulder and bears the burden with us. Why? He's the Emmanuel. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What does Psalm 23 verse 4 say? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there I will fear no evil. Why? Because your rod and your staff are with us. He comforts us. He never leaves us alone. The covenant promise, Matthew 28, I am with you always. Always. You may end up with senile dementia. You may be dribbling in an old people's home. But if you're born again, he will be your guide even unto death. Do you believe that? He will never leave us nor forsake us. What a wonderful